Amen. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to the Gospel according to Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 to 25, the last few verses before the Sermon on the Mount, which I said we, Lord willing, will come back to in January. Here in chapter 4, 3 and 4, really, Matthew shows Jesus to be a man of action. The last couple weeks, we have seen Jesus uh, come fresh from his baptism and into the fight with the enemy in the wilderness. He conquers or defeats him. He triumphs over him in the temptation. He then marches forth to announce his kingdom, to gather his citizens, to bring disciple, call disciples to himself. These first four we saw who will be his uh, kingdom ambassadors. And now, here in verses 23 to 25, we have really a brief statement where Matthew sums up the ministry which Jesus showed to his disciples. He took them out with him and did ministry. What was that ministry's character? What good does his ministry do for us? We want to think about the ministry of Jesus From Matthew chapter 4, let me invite you to give attention to the word of God, beginning at verse 23. And he, that is Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those Afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Amen. This is God's word. Let's look to him in prayer. Father, this is your word. Grant that I would know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And grant that these words would come to us and pierce our hearts and land in our minds, not as the words of man, but as the words of God, which they are. That our faith might not rest in man, but in the power of God. We ask this by your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want you to see this ministry of Jesus, the comprehensive ministry of Jesus, the uh, compassionate ministry of Jesus, and the crowd-attracting ministry of Jesus. The king has come. The king has defeated the enemy. He's triumphed over the devil. And now he goes out to apply his victory to people, to extend his kingdom blessings to people, to all who are suffering. What kind of ministry was it? What instruction and joy and hope does it give us? Let's think about these things together. In the first place, verse 23, the comprehensive ministry of Jesus. Verse 23, it's a holistic ministry. And he went, it says, throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. He taught, he preached, he healed. It wasn't instruction of the mind exclusive of the needs of the body. It wasn't proclamation without practical 
actions and deeds of love. It wasn't all talk and no action. It was comprehensive in word and in deed. And you see a threefold ministry here the writer tells us about. He went about teaching in the synagogues. He went about proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And he went about healing every disease and affliction. Now look, Matthew doesn't give you right here a single example of these things. Not an illustration to be found. Not a story we'd like to hear about any of this. The reason for that is this is actually a summary statement of what he's about to tell you. He's going to tell you about the teaching ministry of Jesus and the proclamation of the kingdom in chapters 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And in chapters 8 and 9, it's all one story after another of healing of people who had these kinds of problems. So this is actually, this is just setting you up for where he's headed. Matthew wants you to see on the front end, before he tells you about it all, that it was indeed comprehensive. And notice the three aspects of the ministry. In the first place, it says Jesus went to the synagogues and he taught. He went into, in other words, the Jewish places of study, the gathering places, not here into the temple where they did sacrifices, but here where the Jews would gather to study the word of God to read it, to hear it taught, to sing together and pray together and fellowship together. Jesus goes to those places where he could teach them the Bible to show them that the message he was preaching was the message they had already been given in the Old Testament, to see how he was the fulfillment of that message, to show how he was the fulfillment of the promises of God to his people. That he was, in fact, the long-promised Messiah. This is some of the kind of things Jesus taught them. Some, we know from other places, wanted to hear him more. Some wanted uh, to uh, have nothing more to do with him. Uh, Some embraced his message. How about you? Now, the second part of his ministry was proclaiming or heralding the good news of or the gospel of the kingdom. Notice that there again in verse 23. He went about announcing good news. Gospel. Gospel comes really from two Greek words. Angelon, which means um, basically news, and a prefix, eu, which uh, means joyful. Uh, News that brings joy or joyful news, good tidings, right? Back then the word uh, meant not, you know, it wasn't used in like everyday newspaper kind of information about the various happenings, but it was used in the context of uh, earth-shattering news. Uh, For example, we have a copy of a work called The Beginning of the Gospel of Caesar Augustus. It's about Caesar Augustus' birth. And his coronation. And it was titled, News That Brings Joy. I'm not sure it brought joy to everybody. War, uh, we have as another example, the use of this word when the Greeks invaded Persia. And they sent runners after the battle of Marathon. They sent heralds. They sent evangelists out. They ran to places like Sparta to announce, we have fought for you. We have won for you. You are free. You aren't slaves. Good news. Earth-shatteringly good news. You're free. That's gospel kind of news. Something has been done 
in history and on your behalf, done for you, that changes your status forever and sets you free. Other religions, as many have noted, give you lots of advice about how you ought to live. Christianity fundamentally is about good news of a life that Jesus lived that then sets you free. The true king has come. come. He has triumphed. He brings light into darkness. He binds up the brokenhearted. He sets free the captives. He proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. This is the kind of stuff Jesus went around saying, telling people, I'm here. The king is here. So the kingdom is at hand. Come, follow me. Come, join my kingdom. Repent, turn towards me. And walk with me. This is the kind of stuff he said. Rejoice and be glad for it. Look, if there isn't any joy for you in that news, then maybe you don't understand Christianity. If there is no joy for you in Christ, then maybe you've not yet met this Christ. This message then is for you. If you know that you're helpless and hopeless because of the powers of darkness, even the darkness of your own twisted heart the king has come who can set you at liberty how does he do that the apostle paul in first corinthians 15 tells you uh, when he gives a short summary of the gospel he says this is the gospel i proclaim to you which i preach to you for i delivered to you as of first importance what i also received that christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture and that he was buried And that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's the gospel. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose for you. Your sin has been paid for. Eternal life is purchased for you. You can be part of God's kingdom simply by trusting in him. His kingdom is a kingdom in which sin will have no dominion over you. It has no authority over you. It's been dethroned by his death and resurrection. And ultimately in heaven, sin can have no presence with you. The powers of darkness can't touch you. Jesus went around proclaiming the good news of this kingdom. Now, he didn't cover all that ground in the early part of his ministry. But over the course of time... He unfolded and unpacked what it meant that the king had come. Are you enjoying the freedom that he brings? Are you embracing it? Thirdly, notice this third aspect of his ministry is healing. His healing ministry showed that God's redemption is a redemption of the whole person in body and soul. Jesus doesn't come to people and say, I redeem your soul because that's all I really care about. No, he actually comes and he heals people of diseases because he cares about our bodies. He cares about our suffering. He cares about our pain. He cares about us completely. And he wants to fit us for the enjoyment of life in glory in the new heavens and new earth. And he gives us a foretaste of what he can do for us and what he promises he will do for us in these miraculous healings. And Jesus, in in doing these healings, really, in a lot of ways, sets a pattern for the kind of ministry his disciples who are with him, watching him, were to do. 
and the kind of ministry that the church is to be about. We are to be about a word and deed ministry. We are a people to be a people who not only teach and preach, but people who care for the practical concerns of others and meet them as we are by God enabled to do so. We're not Jesus. We can't walk on water. We can't ourselves raise the dead. But we should aspire to be comprehensive, not just speak words, but do good with practical love. James puts it this way, the Apostle James. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What does this mean for us at Redeemer? It means we need word and deed ministry. This, this ought to be our aspiration. As Peter put it in 1 Peter chapter 4, each, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Look, whoever speaks, he says, as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that everything... In everything, God might be glorified through Jesus. So I would say to us as a people, find a need and fill it. Serve one another in love. You notice things around here that need doing, people that need attending? Maybe you have eyes to see that where others don't precisely because God wants you to be the one to reach out and to show love. All of us, of course, can be more intentional None of us can do everything. This is a team effort. Some of us need to do more. Move from being spectators to being players, so to speak, in this ministry. The comprehensiveness of the ministry of Jesus is a model for us in caring for people. That's the first thing I want you to see. Word and deed. Now the second is the focus Matthew gives to the healing ministry of Jesus in verse 24. And there you see the compassionate ministry of Jesus. Verse 24, so his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, paralytics, and he healed them. Jesus was able to do all of this because he is God in the flesh, because he's the Messiah who was promised and his kingdom has come. And in coming, he came to reverse the effects of the fall. Why is it that disease and pain and death occur? They occur because of the fall into sin. And Jesus came to reverse the effects of the fall. It is because of our first parents, Adam and Eve, and their fall into rebellion against God that disease and decay and death occur in this world. It's not what we were made for originally. But each of us is by nature and in covenant, in union with Adam. And, and so what comes to us are all the liabilities of that. We are liable to all the miseries of this life. That doesn't mean 
that every sickness or pain or problem you experience is the direct result of some particular sin that you have committed. That is not what I'm saying or this passage is teaching or the Bible ever says. You remember the story of the blind man in John chapter 9, right? Rabbi, the disciples said to Jesus about the blind man, who sinned, this man or his parents? Right? Who do we fault for this? That this man was born blind. They've got bad theology. They thought that everybody who was sick or everybody who was diseased or maimed or paralyzed was so because of some particular sin they themselves had committed. And that's not true. Now, sometimes we can get sick because of our sins. Even seriously so, Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit and they were struck with illness that struck them dead. Acts chapter 5. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 about the Lord's Supper warns us to not partake in an unworthy manner for those who did so. Some of them had gotten sick. Some had even fallen asleep. The Bible's word for death. God had used sickness and death to discipline his children to chastise his children for their sins it's not a wrong question to ask am i suffering this because i have committed some sin and then to repent of it but it doesn't mean that it's definitely the case and we should never tell others that it is in their case we don't know in god's providence I mean, did Job sin and that's why he was afflicted? The Bible says no, he was a blameless man, righteous in his day. He wasn't afflicted because of his own particular personal sin. So likewise in the John passage, Jesus says it was not this man that sinned or his parents. He says, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That's why he was blind. Sickness does not always indicate you've done something wrong or sinful or lacked faith. As if you had, if you just hadn't sinned or had enough faith, you wouldn't suffer. That's not what it means. God allowed some people to be sick so that the work of God could be displayed. So that Jesus could be shown to be the Messiah who brings healing. Now, some of you who have read The Lord of the Rings or watched the movies, do you remember the Houses of Healing that Tolkien tells us about? When Mary and Faramir and Eowyn grew steadily sicker from the poison of the enemy's weapons, one of the city's nurses remembered a kind of a legend in Gondor that said, the hands of the king are the hands of a healer, and so shall the rightful king be known. And then Aragorn, right, begins to heal people. And so the news spreads throughout Gondor that the king is risen, that there is, the king has returned to his people. He had the healing hands. Where do you think Tolkien got that idea? He got that idea from the Bible, from the gospel. In Matthew chapter 11, when John, John the Baptist, imprisoned, heard about the good deeds and works that Jesus was doing, he sent word by his disciples to Jesus asking, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? John in prison, I think was scratching his head a little bit. Are are you truly the Messiah or are we supposed to be looking for somebody else? And Jesus answered him, this is Matthew 11 verse 4, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, 
and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised and the poor have good news preached to them. You tell them. Because this is what the Old Testament promised the Messiah would bring. Yes, I'm the Messiah, Jesus was saying. And nothing was too difficult for him in this healing ministry. Notice the kinds of classes of diseases Jesus healed. Matthew mentions first, in the first place, people afflicted with various diseases and pains. Uh, The distinguishing between those things is that the pain was caused by the disease. It was a symptom of the disease that they had. And he mentions then uh, those who were oppressed by demons. Some were sick or depressed or out of their minds because of the oppression of the demonic. Jesus could handle that. Jesus could deal with that. We've already seen Jesus said to Satan himself, the chief demon, be gone, Satan, at the end of his temptations. And Satan left him. Satan obeyed him. So the demons obeyed Jesus too. There was another kind of problem. Epileptics. uh, In some of your translations, seizures. Um, And that is to be distinguished from. The Bible is distinguishing that from those who are oppressed by demons. It's not the case that people thought everybody who had an epileptic fit was possessed by demons. This is a separate class of problem. The older translation, some of you have perhaps have an older translation that says lunatics. That's from the Latin luna for moon. It was thought that people were moonstruck. It was thought that people had a mental disorder that waxed and waned, grew stronger or lighter as the moon itself waxed and waned. And that's where it got its name. But the medical condition described here is better associated with the, the various kinds of Uh, problems of the the brain and the central nervous system. And one symptom of that, of course, was involuntary muscle spasms and tremors and seizures. Epilepsy was considered in Jesus' day to be the worst disease of the mind and that nobody could cure. Jesus cured those with seizures and he healed paralytics, people with some of your translations, palsy. It covers a range of what was considered to be incurable bodily problems like blindness, deafness, inability to speak, as well as crippled legs, withered arms, withered hands. Jesus healed people of all those things. He could heal all of that. And what is he doing? Again, he is doing a redemptive work of destroying the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of darkness and reversing the effects of the fall to bring about the shalom or the peace or the wholeness of life that God intended for us to have from the beginning. And so Jesus here is a spiritual and physical physician who knows how to heal. And he does so because he has a heart of compassion and he cares about our miseries and he wants to help us. And these things are a foretaste of the new bodies we will have in glory when the fullness of God's blessing is known in its strength by us. He promises that there and then none of us will have sorrow or suffering, no more mourning or crying, no pain anymore. You ask then the question, right? Does God still heal 
today? The answer is, of course, yes, he does still heal today. We pray for sick and diseased and dying people here at Redeemer almost every week in public worship and many in private throughout the week. And at least every month, it seems, people are healed. Diseases go away. Strength returns. As the Apostle James told us, if you are sick, if any are sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church to pray for them. And God answers those prayers. God heals when and wherever he chooses. Now, he isn't under obligation to do so because we've asked him to. We certainly do not command him. He is not a genie in a bottle. If we just scratch his belly the right way, he will do what we tell him to do. That is not the kind of sovereign God he is. He's in control of all things. We are always in the posture of saying, Lord, if it be your will, heal and help. But whether it is through the skill of physicians or the aid of medicine or the nutrition of food or the hydration of water or supernatural intervention for which we can come up with no natural explanation that we can think of or ever find, We have all probably in this room been in the course of our life healed of sickness and disease of some kind. And so we can all give thanks that God is our healer. And yet, at the same time, we can say, the Lord does determine to call us home to himself in glory in a better place. And at times he leaves his people to that end. For the better purpose of bringing us home. How many, after all, of the people that Jesus healed in his earthly ministry remained healed? They got something. They all died eventually of something. How many of the people that Jesus raised from the dead, like Lazarus, in his life, Remained alive. No, they died again of something. 56 million people die a year. That's 151,600 some odd every day in this world. You may be a picture of health today. And praise God for it. There is coming a day when it will not be so. What then will you do? To whom will you turn? Jesus says, put your trust in me and I can heal you of all your spiritual and physical problems. So his ministry then is comprehensive. His ministry is compassionate and it was crowd attracting. I mean, who doesn't love a miracle, right? And so look, verse 24 Uh, Fame spread throughout Syria. Verse 25 expands on that. Great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem, Judea, from beyond the Jordan. So his ministry was not provincial. Yes, his fame did spread to Jerusalem, the capital city of the Jews, and to Judea, the surrounding countryside populated in large measure by Jews. But his fame spread to the Gentile and pagan areas. As we've noted before, Galilee is to the north. On the west side of the Sea of Galilee, 
It has plenty of Jews there, synagogues that Jesus went into, but also populated by uh, leftovers from the old Assyrian uh, military and the old Assyrian government, now governed by Rome. They would populate it. Uh, Many people there, in fact, they mention here Decapolis, which was a region of ten cities, uh, Deca and Polis, ten cities, uh, with, it mentions Damascus, Damascus to the north, which even to this day is the capital, the modern uh, capital, a city of modern-day Syria. And one of the ten cities was Philadelphia, which is now Amman, which is the capital of the nation of Jordan. And it mentions the region beyond the Jordan River, looking east into the desert and into the wilderness uh, where nomads lived in the direction of Iraq and Iran. His fame spread all over. You didn't have to be born and raised in Israel. And you don't have to be born and raised in Christianity for this king to give you his kingdom and its blessings. His ministry is for the whole world. Four out of five Protestants in the world live outside of the United States. There are over two million converts in Africa from Islam to Christianity in our own generation. There are 24 million Christians in Indonesia. There are more Presbyterians, five times as many Presbyterians in South Korea as there are in the U.S. today because the gospel is for all people. Jesus isn't provincial and so his kingdom fame spread and people came from everywhere. Matthew says a large crowd followed him. Crowds of course like miracles. The sick like healing. Friends love their loved ones all very properly so. This doesn't mean that every last one of them followed Jesus as a disciple. They didn't all buy the teaching, embrace the gospel story. They didn't all. Many were curiosity seekers. You remember that the crowds followed him and then the crowds abandoned him and then the crowds cried, crucify him. Jesus was very popular until Jesus wasn't popular. And we have to ask ourselves then this day, are we following Jesus as a curiosity or as our Lord and our King and our Savior? Are we looking for help from him only in times of crisis and then abandoning him when the crisis is over, only to return in a moment of crisis and then abandon him again? Is that the pattern of our relationship towards Jesus? Or are we looking to him for deliverance from the real threats, sin, Evil, Satan, death, our own twisted hearts. And are we following him with a thankful heart because he's rescued us? That's a good question to ask this week on a week of national thanksgiving to God. You might make a list of your answers to these questions to sort of stoke your own thankfulness. What has Jesus taught you? From the word of God for which you are thankful. How has the good news of the kingdom of Jesus set you free and made you joyful? 
How has this king healed you in the past or given you hope for heavenly healing? We should ask these kinds of questions and search our hearts about our thankfulness because there's a cautionary tale in Luke 17 when Jesus was traveling between Samaria and Galilee. He entered a village and he was met by ten lepers, outcasts in society with a humanly incurable disease. They stood at a distance and they shouted to him in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, He said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Why? Because Jesus had mercy on them. Jesus healed them. Then one of them, Luke tells us, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Luke says. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? What about you? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you're good. The gospel is fantastic that our hopes in heaven are even better than we know. Jesus is a kind Savior to the needy, to to all who look to him. So teach us our helplessness and our hopelessness, and then teach us to trust outside of ourselves in him. In his name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing.